0: Well, good morning, friends. We uh, continue our studies in Luke's Gospel. Last week we were hearing how crucial it is, uh, how we listen to God's Word. So why don't we bow in prayer and ask God to help us to listen rightly uh, that we might bear fruit as a result of this. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we listen this morning... Uh, that by your grace we will be good soil, that your word will take root in our hearts, uh, that it will bear fruit, much fruit, the fruit of repentance and faith, uh, the fruit of a life yielded to you and living under your lordship. And we pray all this for your glory. Amen. Amen. I wonder what it is that puts fear into you. Maybe it's a letter from the ATO uh, or maybe it's spiders uh, or snakes. Uh, maybe it's someone, a uh, big guy with tats in the train or the, or the tram or, or a drunk, uh, whatever. Um, a couple of years ago, Janet and I were out walking uh, down at Cape Shank and uh, we were walking along the path and we came across this. Uh, at the first time in my life, I'd seen a tiger snake and I'd heard of their vicious reputation. All of a sudden my heart's beating really quickly and the fight and flight mechanism kicked in. Uh, Thankfully the snake's flight and fight mechanism kicked in as well and uh, he scuttled off into the bush and we scuttled off in the other direction. Um, I think we like to think of Jesus as somebody who's like a kind of handsome, uh, benevolent uncle, a meek and mild, nice bloke, you know, like the book, Uh, gentle and lowly. Uh, But when he was here on earth, uh, some people found him genuinely scary, Uh, even people who knew him well, like the disciples. What was it that made them afraid of him? Well, today we're going to find out. Uh, There are two scenarios in this passage that's just been read to us uh, that actually put forward two really common human scenarios where human beings are confronted firstly with the forces of nature. Uh, We've had an earthquake in Japan this week. I was emailing someone last night who was on the edge of it. Scary, TV rocking around and stuff like that. The forces of nature. But secondly, the forces of evil. These are big, powerful forces that scare us. And when somebody comes along who is bigger and more powerful than those forces, that's even more scary, isn't it? And that's what we discover in this passage today. Uh, That's the predicament of the disciples and this very needy man. Luke is continuing his well-researched orderly account of the life of Jesus. And today in this passage, the word afraid uh, comes up quite frequently as people face these fearful situations but end up with either a very profound respect and awe of Jesus or a fear of having him near them. Uh, as his infinite power becomes more clear. So firstly, the first scenario, uh, there's a fearsome storm in verses 22 to 24. Uh, Jesus gets into a boat. He says to his disciples, let's go across the other side of the lake. So they set out. As they sail, he falls asleep. And a windstorm comes down the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Uh, when we moved to Melbourne, uh, I wasn't familiar with Port Phillip Bay. Uh, I'd previously, I'm a sailor, I'd previously sailed on smaller lakes. Uh, but I was keen to get out for a sail and the opportunity came. Uh, it was actually during the heatwave that ended with Black Saturday. Uh, and it was a beautiful day. So we sailed out and actually dropped the anchor uh, in the middle of the bay. Beautiful clear water. It was boiling hot so we Tipped over the side and swam around. It was so good to be out there rather than jam packed in on St Kilda Beach with about 50,000 other people. It was really, really nice. Anyway, we sailed around a bit. I think we went over the other side and had a meal and we were sailing back, bobbing along on the lake, and all of a sudden I saw this white line uh, on the bay to the south. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. Well, it didn't have long to wait. Uh, Within about 10 minutes, a southerly buster had come through and the the wind went from about 10 knots to about 45 knots. It was really wild. And we were scrambling to get the sails down. Within about 90 seconds, we we were too slow. Within about 90 seconds, the front sail, the wind had shredded it. Literally, it fell apart. It was terrifying. Somehow, once that front had come through... Uh, we limped back to St Kilda. Uh, It was truly fearsome and awesome uh, in the real sense of the word and it made us realise actually how powerless we are in the face of the forces of nature. It also taught us that we actually need to look at the weather forecast for Port Phillip before we go sailing. (laughs) Now the Sea of Galilee... Uh, is notorious for these kinds of storms. The Sea of Galilee is 200 metres below sea level and it's got hills on the eastern side and as the lake heats up, uh, the wind can come down through the gullies of these hills so the the cold air comes down as the hot air rises and cause wind squalls on the lake. Uh, Even these days up to three metre waves are recorded on the lake. You can see the picture there of these three-metre waves crashing into a, a restaurant on the uh, edge of the Sea of Galilee. Now you might think three-metre away, that's not bad, that's good surfing conditions. Actually, if you're in a boat that's about half a metre above the water, that is truly scary when one breaks over you. Uh, Rembrandt has depicted this scene uh, with this incredible painting and he captures the terror of the disciples Uh, as the waves are rolling uh, around and about them and the boat's going up and down and so on. These disciples, uh, four of them are really hardened sailors, right? They've spent their life on this lake and they know what's going to happen next. And so it's really ironic, isn't it, that they go to Jesus. Jesus is asleep. How he could possibly be asleep in a scenario like that? I think it's an indication of how much he rested in his heavenly father. But they wake him up and they say this, Master, Master, we're perishing. And literally it means we are being destroyed. They're screaming at him. And for them it's one of those awful moments when it seems like the end is coming and your whole life is flashing before you. And what happens next stops them in their tracks. Uh, And that's the second point on your outline, a fearless saviour. Jesus wakes and he rebukes the wind and the raging waves and they cease and there is calm. Incredible, isn't it? Uh, Now when we were battling the wind that day on the bay, it did not occur to me to stand up in the boat and say stop. (laughs) You might try it sometime and see if you've got that kind of power. I was pretty sure I didn't have it. And I'm pretty sure you don't have it either. Um, <laughs> no, we do, we do to face that those forces of nature. But Jesus just stands up, says stop, and it stops immediately. It seems like it's natural as anything for Jesus to stand up and order the wind and the waves to cease it makes sense doesn't it if he's the one who brought these things into being by the word of his mouth surely uh, he can change their shape and their force uh, by the word of his mouth Jesus is absolutely fearless in the face of this storm the ferocious storm uh, unlike us and unlike his disciples Jesus then turns from challenging the wind and the waves to challenging them And he says to them, where's your faith? It's a good question, isn't it? It seems that he was expecting that they would be more trusting of him by now. Uh, They've seen him cast out demons, heal lepers, withered hands, raise the dead. They've seen a lot, haven't they? But I think like all of us who have experienced the the goodness of God and the power of God, uh, we forget so quickly, don't we? And we give in to the fear of our circumstances. They are truly awestruck at the power of Jesus. And they're afraid. They recognise that there's a power here that's greater than the power of the storm and the waves. So verse 25 says, They were afraid, they marvelled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? They don't stop at fear, do they? They are afraid. But don't stop there. They move on to marvel and say, who is this? It's a good question, isn't it? Uh, They probably know. Those verses from the Psalms, here's one of them. Uh, You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Uh, These are things that powers that are attributed to God. So it's right for them to say, who is this? From our scriptures, only God has that power. And yet here's a man, Jesus, a carpenter, who can do it. Who indeed is he? That's the key question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Not just for them, but for you and for me. We cannot dismiss him as a nice bloke, a good teacher, lots of nice morals and stuff like that. The things that he did here tell us that he is way more than that. To understand what's going on here, we need to go back to the beginning of the Bible, to the creation mandate, where God said this to Adam and Eve who he just created. He says be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth This is the way that God set things up this is the way it's meant to be uh, us living under God's rule uh, and loving rule and caring for and ruling over the creation a productive harmony between the creator, the creature and the creation. Here's a diagram depicting it. If you know the two ways to live gospel outline, uh, I've pinched that from there. So that's, that's a diagram of how things work. God rules over all and we under God are charged with caring for the creation and ruling over it, having dominion over it. When mankind rejected God's rule, as we see in the next slide, uh, not only could we not uh, uh, subdue the earth, but we couldn't even control ourselves. And we're seeing the results of it, aren't we? Uh, We can't control the creation. We can't do the right thing by the creation. We can't even do the right thing by one another. That's why there's so much conflict in the world. And our relationship with God is broken. We've made a mess of the whole thing. But here, the disciples are confronted with somebody who has not stepped out of under God's rule, who has always lived under God's rule, as we see in the next diagram, the Lord Jesus, who has always lived under the rule of God and therefore is in a right relationship with the creation. And he has dominion over it and he can rule over it. He's a fearless saviour uh, because he's God himself. And not only has he come uh, to rule over the creation and the creatures, but he's come to reverse the impact of the fall and that's what we see in the next scenario, uh, an awful evil. Now, the scenario here is they the, the storm's gone, they have a leisurely sail across the lake, uh, they get out... Uh, and in the country of the Gerasenes and straight away Jesus is confronted uh, with a man who is in a very, very desperate situation. In fact, he is uh, under the control of Satan and his henchmen. This poor, wretched, tortured man is an outcast from his own people. He's roaming around in the nude in a cemetery crying out and the best that the people of the city can do for him is to put fetters around his ankles so he can't run around and put chains around his wrists and put a 24-hour guard on him. Even then he breaks the chains and the, the demon gets hold of him and drives him out into the desert. Friends, this is so distressing, isn't it? Not just for the man but for his family, for the people in the city. I don't know if you've ever seen this. When we were living in an animistic culture, we occasionally came across people who were under the impact they were possessed by demons. And to see them riding around and and these demons taking over their voices and and their movements and people having to restrain them. It's terrifying. It's distressing. And uh, people in the culture we live in feared this and they were trying to appease the spirits that might do that to them or any of their relatives. And they used to take them round to witch doctors, shamans, Muslim holy men, anybody who might be able to help them. This guy, he just doesn't have one demon. He's got thousands of them. Uh, Jesus asks him, What is your name? By the way, some people make a lot of that and say, You know, if you're going to get control over demons, you need to get their name. Uh, you can't get a, an ought from an is, as they say. Uh, Jesus did not do that in every instance. In fact, I think this is the only instance. So uh, I think that's a bit of sort of mumbo jumbo. But Jesus does ask the, the name and. He says, legion. And for many demons had entered him. A Roman legion had about 6,000 soldiers in it. So this guy says, my name's the legion. He's an extreme case of demon possession. And they've totally ruined his life. Now this is Satan's work, isn't it? Jesus said he's a liar and a murderer. Uh, his work from the Garden of Eden right through to the time when he's going to be destroyed. He's the deceiver and a destroyer. And he's wrecking this man's life. And let's note here he's very powerful. Let's not fool ourselves otherwise. We can't fight this enemy on our own. That's why the Apostle John says, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. It's only by the power of Jesus and that's evident here. And the next thing we see is this awesome saviour. And uh, this is what dominates this story from now on, the power of Jesus. Uh, First of all, this man begs Jesus not to torment him. Now, whether this is just him expressing what normally happens to him and often does with uh, people like this in animistic societies, people torment them. They think it's fun. Uh, Kids bait them and so on. But it's more likely, of course, that he recognises the power of Jesus. He addresses him as the Son of the Most High God. He actually has insights that the disciples didn't have at that point. They beg him uh, not to command them to depart into the abyss. If you go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, you'll see there that the abyss is the place where Satan and his cohort are finally consigned and they are locked up forever. But here they have to get permission from Jesus for wherever they go. That's very comforting, isn't it? If you're a Christian here this morning, uh, demons can't attack you without the permission of the Lord Jesus. They can't do anything to you. That's very comforting, isn't it? And here they beg for permission uh, to go into a herd of pigs And Jesus gives them leave and the pigs rush down into the sea and they perish. Now this is where we find more of the answer uh, to the disciples' question. Who then is this? Again we go back to the beginning of the Bible and what happened when Adam and Eve uh, said no to God's rule over them and they got out of that relationship actually with each other, with God and with the world. Uh, What happened? God, of course, uh, read the riot act, didn't he? And he said this to the woman, to Eve I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So when Adam and Eve uh, listen to the snake instead of God, uh, God curses the snake. And it promises that the descendant of the woman uh, will crush the serpent. So here we see in this, what's going on here, this scenario with this demoniac, the people of the city uh, see, uh, the people in the city who have lived in fear uh, of this man and of these demons, they see that Jesus has power. In fact, he has power to put them to an end. And that's what happens, actually. They see that here's this man uh, who they've had to put a 24-hour guard on for who knows how long, decades. And, and, and they've tried to help him, tried to contain him. And what do they see once Jesus has told these demons to get out? They seem sitting there clothed, right? His dignity is back. People are not staring at his nakedness and poking fun at him anymore. And he's in his right mind. Friends, if you've suffered mentally, you know how much that means, don't you? When God helps us to be in our right mind. What a wonderful thing, how powerful is Jesus. He's got his life back. And what does he say? He begs to be with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. That's a clear sign of a changed life, isn't it? Wanting to be with Jesus and to be like him. But Jesus sends him out. He says, go and tell how much God has done for you. Notice what Jesus says here. It he doesn't say, go and tell people how much I've done for you. What does he say? Go and tell how much God has done for you. What Jesus has done, God has done. You see what Luke's saying here? see what Jesus is saying here? I'm God. When I did that for you, I did it as God. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? Now, unlike the people of the city who uh, beg Jesus to go away, this man, dressed in his right mind, begs to be with Jesus. And friends, I want to, as we close, want to put before you in these two accounts you see two ways of being afraid of Jesus. When we are confronted uh, with his awesome rescuing power, his fearlessness, as we have been this morning, as we've heard these scriptures read, there's two ways of moving forward from here. Uh, you can be like the Gerasenes who tell him to get out of their life. They want to put as much distance as possible between Jesus and themselves as they can. We're not uh, told why they want Jesus out of their lives. Maybe it's the loss of their pig business. Uh, Maybe they're thinking, wow, if he's confronted that big an evil in that person, what if he confronts the evil in me? That's a big one, isn't it? But whatever the reason is, they want Jesus to get as far away as possible. It's a vain hope, actually, isn't it? Uh, We will all be face to face with Jesus in the end. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says. I remember visiting door to door once uh, offering people the chance to find out more about Jesus and uh, I knocked on one door and before I could even open my mouth the guy starts yelling at me, I don't want your beep, 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 I won't say it here, Christ or nothing and slammed the door in my face. He did not want a bit of it. Maybe that's not you but Maybe as you have heard about Jesus and his power today, it's freaked you out and you feel like running from him. Let me encourage you not to do that. Not to do that. There's a right and proper and godly fear, respect, a reverence of Jesus that is entirely appropriate that this man has, this demoniac has and that the disciples have in the boat. And it shows itself in two ways wanting to follow Jesus, to be with him and wanting to live your life in gratitude for Jesus and telling others about him. That's another one of the fruits of the word of God when it sinks deep into your life and takes root. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, what's happened to you is Jesus has confronted the evil in your life and he has paid for it. He's dealt with it in his death on the cross. And the only response we can have to that is gratitude, respect, reverence, awe. How great, how powerful, how loving is this person, Jesus. He is God. Uh, Right at the beginning of this Gospel, Mary, when she heard that she was going to bear the Lord Jesus Christ, that fearless, awesome Saviour, she burst out in a song. And here's one line from it. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. The person who fears Jesus in this way is the one who recognises that their situation is hopeless, like the disciples in the boat, that they are perishing. And they cry out to Jesus and recognise that he has the lordship, the rule, the power over everything and entrust themselves to him and live under his rule and dominion. Friends, I want to ask you as we close, where are you at today? Do you want to be with Jesus or would you rather that he got out of your life? He calls on you to decide. Uh, If you're running away from him, to turn from doing that. And reach out to him to say that you're sorry for doing that and that you want him to forgive you and change your life. And he promises he will do that. And if you are a believer, friends, let's live with Jesus as our Lord with an appropriate and a right fear of him, a respect, an awe and a reverence that will drive us not to sin anymore. So do everything in love and respect and honour of him, the one who's rescued us. Let's bow in prayer and ask for his help in that. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Let's, in the quietness of our own hearts, respond to God, respond to Jesus. Then I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll have time for questions. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you this morning. How great is your might and your power, but also your love and your compassion that you rescued your disciples from perishing and that you rescued that man from the clutches of Satan. Thank you, Lord, from where we sit, this side of the cross, we see the fuller picture of how To do with our evil, our wrong, our selling ourselves uh, to Satan, that you went all the way to the cross and died in our place and removed that barrier so that we can draw near to you and draw near to God. Lord, I pray that every one of us this morning might know your power, your greatness in our lives as we turn from our sin day by day and as we trust in your goodness. Lord, we pray for people throughout our world who are tormented by evil and by demons, who are living in situations when they're on the edge of perishing. Lord, please help help us to cry out to you and to entrust ourselves to your goodness, your faithfulness and your power.